I'm Candace Long with Lessons in the Latter Days. Because of renewed listener interest in the connection between the vaccine and the biblical mark of the beast, I want to re-air this episode from the fall of 2021. This particular episode may cause some listeners to question my credibility as a spiritual forecaster and biblical interpreter of the times. But my gut has been telling me that something is not right, and no one is asking the question, could the vaccine be the mark of the beast? First, let me assure those who took the vaccine that this is not a fatalistic message. What I mean is that if the vaccine is the mark of the beast, and you've taken it, I have a message of hope, so please bear with me. The reason I bring up the question is there are far too many similarities between today's vaccine and the biblical mark of the beast as found in the book of Revelation. Here's a five-point outline on how I plan to tackle this topic. Number one, I will describe the most critical defensive weapon that believers have been given by God to navigate these times. Number two, I'll explain what the mark of the beast is and how it will manifest in the end of days. Number three, I will list the ten markers of the biblical mark of the beast for you to compare with today's vaccines. Number four, we'll look at the implications if a believer should take the mark unawares. And number five, if the vaccine is the mark, is there a way out for the believer? So topic number one, a believer's most critical defensive weapon today is found in the book of Hebrews chapter 5. We read this, But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their faculties trained by practice to distinguish good from evil. Now what on earth are these faculties? The Greek word means an organ of perception. I mean, this is an actual organ, like a a spleen or a gallbladder. God put an organ of perception inside of us to help us discern truth from error. Now, some people refer to it as your gut. Others call it an inner knowing. In essence, this organ is like an inner antenna of perceiving and interpreting what is going on in the spiritual climate around you, using all five senses, sight, smell, taste, touch, and hearing. Now, those who spend a lot of time in God's presence have these faculties or senses finely tuned. I call them body tells because the body actually tells you stuff. Now, each person's body tells are different, and those who walk closely with the Lord have come to know without a shadow of a doubt when something is happening for their good or is given to them as a warning. In a recent masterclass, I asked my students to share the body tells they have come to rely on. You see, God gives us the ability to sense His presence. Jesus said in John 10, I am the Good Shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. My sheep hear my voice. 
He communicates to each of us so individually that we know with every part of our being that His is the voice that we're hearing. Now, this is a critical principle to understand in this evil day with so many voices out there and so much misinformation. So I asked my students for examples. First, tell me, what do you experience when the Lord's presence is near? Here were some of their answers. A feeling of lightness, a tightness in the stomach, chills, crying without knowing why. Some smell a sweet aroma. Others feel light shimmering throughout the body. Now, you can't go to school and learn these body tells. They develop over time as we walk with God. And biblically, we are encouraged to pay attention to our antennas, to learn when we detect things correctly, and be patient with ourselves if we do not. That's how we grow. Secondly, I asked what they experience when in the presence of unclean spirits. You see, as our faculties mature, we can discern not only whether we are around unclean spirits, but often we can identify the names of those spirits. So those who are involved in active ministry are aware of these faculties, and they are equipped for today's spiritual climate. Now, here were some answers my students gave when around unclean spirits. A chill on the back of the neck. An inner knowing that an unclean spirit is nearby. The heart rate may increase. Some people smell a sulfur odor. Others feel anxiety. Or they see demons looking at them through someone else's eyes. I bring all this up because our worldly culture has no idea what I'm talking about because these faculties are diametrically opposed to the world's reliance on facts, data, and science. It is not that these left-brain attributes are unimportant. They are. However, they should not be bowed down to and worshipped as the only way that we are guided through life. Here's a scenario of how this may play out. Your state mandates that children must wear a mask to school, and you and your spouse are sincere believers and you go before the Lord asking for answers, and something doesn't feel right. You are not at peace about this at all, but you know instinctively that if you make a stink, your whole family's life and the educational path your children are on will be thrown up in the air. Now, the government tells you that for the safety of your teachers and the other children, you must do your part and comply. And yet your insides are screaming, no. And if you voice your views in public, you will be shamed and made fun of. But this is your organ of perception at work. It is biblical. God gave it to us as a powerful spiritual warning system. He wants us to trust our gut and say no. Topic number two, what is the mark of the beast? Well, there are three times the word mark is used in the Bible, each with a different meaning. In Genesis 4, after Cain killed his brother Abel, we read, And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who came upon him should kill him. Now, that Hebrew word for mark means a beacon, a signal, 
or an omen. Now, since Cain was the patriarch of the generations who chose not to follow the Lord, God prevented anyone from accidentally killing him. That generation was allowed to grow up next to the godly lineage of Seth. The second time we see the word Mark is in Ezekiel 9, which says, And the Lord said to the angel who had the writing case, Go throughout Jerusalem and put a mark upon the foreheads of the men who sigh and groan over all the abominations that are committed in it. Now this is fulfilled in Revelation 7, when during the seven-year tribulation, God will seal 144,000 Jews with a mark, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes. Ezekiel wrote, The Lord gave instructions to the destroying angels to wipe out everyone except the ones upon whom is the mark. In this case, the mark is a good thing, and the Hebrew word used for it is tav, which means signature. God sets his signature on the foreheads of these chosen ones, so the destroying angels will know which ones are not to be harmed during the judgment. The third reference to the word mark refers to the mark of the beast. It's found in the New Testament in Revelation 13. We read, The beast, who will be the embodiment of Satan, causes all, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark that is, the name of the beast or the number of his name. This mark is not a good thing. It's synonymous with the beast. Everything about the mark expresses his nature, and whoever takes the mark is expressing his or her alignment with it. This word for mark is karagma, which is a visible etching that shows up on the skin as a badge of servitude to the kingdom of the beast. Topic number three, the 10 distinctive markers of the biblical mark of the beast. Now, these 10 markers are what we learn from the New Testament as to what the culture will be like during the time the mark of the beast is given. I want you to see for yourself if they are similar to today's vaccines. Number one, the mark is given to people of every nation to help them survive a global catastrophe. Number two, by taking the mark, the promise is that you'll be able to return to living a normal life. Number three, taking the mark soon becomes a mandate, and the mark represents submission to a growing one-world governing body. Number four, Those who take the mark will be granted permissions and freedoms not granted to those who resist, such as the ability to do business and to buy and sell. Number five, the mark itself is an unnatural and foreign substance that becomes part of the body of previously healthy individuals. Number six, a bond or allegiance develops between those who take the mark and the governing organization that mandated it. Number seven, the masses are divided into two groups, the compliant and the rebels. 
Number eight, those who refuse the mark are treated with shame and contempt and ostracized from public gatherings. Number nine, the spiritual atmosphere during the time the mark is given is described as a time of darkness. Now, the Greek word in the book of Revelation for darkness means deception and untruth. And number 10, Jesus said in Matthew 24 that the level of deception during this time period will be so strong so as to lead astray, if possible, even God's elect. So topic number four, what are the implications should a believer take the mark unawares? Now, to be transparent, I do not have 100% proof that the vaccine is the mark of the beast. But the list of alarming similarities show that it could be the mark or a forerunner to it. Now, if you are convinced that you made the right decision, if you took the vaccine, then be blessed. I respect your right to choose. But if there is a knot in your stomach that wants additional biblical commentary on what to do if you regret taking it, then let me share three considerations for you to ponder whether or not to continue your vaccine path. First is to consider the nature of who or what is behind the vaccine push. Is it God or is it the beast? To answer, we have to examine the two natures through a biblical lens and apply its wisdom. Let's consider first the nature of the beast, because the mark of the beast is his signature, his nature. So what is it like? In Genesis, the serpent showed himself first as appealing, articulate, and winsome in personality, but later revealed his true nature as a liar, promising Adam and Eve something potentially good, that they would become like God if they ate of the tree. But in the end, they were trapped in life and death consequences. So what are today's promises? Take the vaccine and your life will get back to normal. With the vaccine, you'll be able to see your grandchildren. The beast knows the right buttons to push for each one of us. But what's happened? The virus continues, and the vaccinated are told they'll need to take more vaccines and booster shots with more genetically engineered substance injected into their bloodstream. Now let's look at God's nature. He never puts pressure on someone to do something. He doesn't shame or taunt them. His style is Eastern, which is indirect. He nudges, gently leads, and then waits to see how we respond. He would never bribe people to take a vaccine or offer them free gifts and corporate incentives. That is not his nature. A second consideration is that since the days of Noah, Satan's plot has been to inject his DNA into the human race in order to build an army who will worship him and go to war against Messiah. Now, this plan first manifested in Genesis 6 when the fallen angels had sex with women and produced the hybrid race known as the Nephilim. These are half-man, half-angel beings, and they were so wicked that God destroyed the earth with a flood saving only eight people whose blood was untainted. 
The Nephilim returned afterwards and have been interbreeding with humanity ever since, as outlined in my three-part series, The Nephilim UFO Connection. In it, I offer biblical evidence that two races of human beings are now growing side by side. First, those manufactured through the Nephilim's genetic engineering and the biblical lineage of Adam and Eve. I'm saying all this to show how important it is to God for us now, right before the kingdom, to maintain the purity of our bloodline and not allow anything foreign to contaminate it, especially something coming through genetic engineering, which is the primary expertise of the Nephilim, according to their own recorded history dating back thousands of years before the Bible was written. The third consideration is how long the world's elite has been conducting chemical and bacteriological research and why. The origin seems to have been the Third International Conference of Eugenics held in 1932 at the Museum of National History in New York City. Eugenics, as you probably know, is the study of how to genetically manipulate reproduction within a human population to increase more desirable traits to pass down to the next generation. It is an extremely racially biased viewpoint. Now, the goal of this meeting was to address the problem of overpopulation by so-called, quote, worthless people consuming too much of the world's resources, which the elite believe belongs to them. In fact, their efforts to kill off those that they don't want have been secretly ongoing for over eight decades. Early on, this diabolical plot was uncovered in a monograph written by Dr. John Coleman, founder of World Intelligence Review, called The Global 2000 Report, A Blueprint for Global Genocide. In my podcast, Return of the Nephilim Part 2, I discuss this in greater depth, but you need to know that the Global 2000 Report was commissioned in 1979 by the Club of Rome and accepted as U.S. policy by then-President Jimmy Carter. The report outlined a blueprint for how to get rid of 2.5 billion people by the year 2020. It is no coincidence that our pandemic just happened by chance to be achieving their goals. As of August 2021, 4.38 million have died worldwide from COVID-19. And let's not overlook the billions that the pharmaceutical industry is making off of the vaccine. Now, the implication for believers is this. If the vaccine is the mark of the beast or its forerunner, then everyone who took the vaccine has taken the first step toward allegiance and identification with the kingdom of the beast. The pressure will now be greater to keep taking more and more vaccines and boosters and pull the vaccinated ones even further into alignment with the one-world system. That's why I raise this difficult question, because there is a narrow window of time for people to reverse course. 
Topic number five, what can believers do if they took the vaccine and regret it? I said I was bringing you a message of hope, and I am, because God understands every temptation we face. He knows our fears, our concern for our health and our families. He knows how subtle the enemy is to entrap sincere people who cannot in their minds fathom the depth of evil and treachery of the kind that I'm presenting here. The reality is that there is no way to undo a vaccine. However, God always gives us a way out, and that is by doing teshuvah, the Hebrew word for true repentance. The Bible is filled with story after story of his people who went down a wrong road only to realize they had been deceived. Psalm 107 is particularly relevant and comforting. In closing, I want to list five things that you can do if you find yourself rethinking the vaccine decision. Number one is review the information outlined in this episode. I have created a written transcript that you can download to review everything that I've outlined here. Discuss it with your family and bring it before the Lord. I'll tell you where you can find it in just a moment. Number two is to remember. James 1 tells us that God freely gives his wisdom to all who ask. So lay it all out there before him and read his word, all the while waiting for him to speak to you. Another key verse is Proverbs 3, which says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not rely on your own insight. In all of your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Number three is register in writing all of your concerns, your fears, your questions, every obstacle that you see before you right now, and bring these things to discuss with the Lord at a specially appointed time. You need to be completely and utterly transparent because your Father knows everything at stake in this decision. Number four is to remain. Do not leave His presence until you get an answer. I'm not meaning literally because you have to eat and go to the bathroom, but do not make a decision until you have received an answer based on what your faculties tell you. That's the inner warning system that we talked about in the beginning. God put it inside of you for such a time as this. He wants you to know beyond a shadow of a doubt what He wants you to do. This is your decision and His alone. And finally, rest in His promises. Take the next step according to what He has shown you and trust Him with the outcome. I encourage you to read Psalm 91 out loud because these promises are critical to staying focused amidst all this turmoil. He says, Because you have made the Lord your refuge, the Most High your habitation, no evil shall befall you. No plague or calamity will come near your dwelling place. For he will give his angels charge of you to guard you in all of your ways. You need to know this deep in your spirit. 
You can find this episode and the transcript to download it on my podcast page at CandiceLong.com. I want to thank you for sharing this time with me. I encourage you to email me with questions that you are wrestling with so I can perhaps address them in future episodes. This may be one of the most important decisions that you will make in your journey toward the kingdom. I hope that you will make time for this. I will be praying that he awakens your faculties and meets you right where you are. Hearing from the Father is a beautiful thing. I'm Candace Long. I hope you will join me again next time for lessons in the latter days. God bless.